This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. It's the Christmas season. I don't know if you caught on to that yet. Has anybody else noticed that it's 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 that time of year, the most wonderful time of year? So, uh, man, you know, each night I kind of watch a different movie and just kind of get get the Christmas vibes going in the house. We watched Home Alone last night. It was just as good as it was last year. So, amen. But um, we're doing a series on Sunday mornings. Go ahead, Maylie. I'll put that up there called Emmanuel. God is with us. And this is kind of an interactive thing because every time I say Emmanuel, you've got to say God is with us. Oh, all right. Whoa. Wow. You guys got you bringing your A game today. So let's try that again. Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, of course, Isaiah prophesied this back in Isaiah chapter seven. He said that, hey, someday there is going to be a Messiah. There is going to be a savior born and he's going to be born to a virgin. And you shall call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God is with us. (laughs) Then right before Jesus came in Matthew chapter one, the angel appeared to Joseph and said, hey, listen, your fiance is pregnant. No, don't get mad. Don't get mad. And Joseph was like, hey, I got to break out. I got to dump this girl. I mean, because, hey, I know that we haven't had relations, so there's no way. And I mean, it looked like a fishy situation, but the angel says, no, she she's giving birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to name. I want you guys to call the baby. He's going to be named Jesus, but I want you to call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, (laughs) because God is with us. And that's one of the most powerful statements in the Bible, because think about that. What if we were dealing with all this stuff and God was not with us? I mean, I can't even I can't even imagine going. I don't want to go. I don't want to go five minutes without having Jesus in my life. I don't I mean, it's a nightmare to even imagine people going their entire lives without having Jesus with them, without having God with them. Yet some people, they kick and fight and pull the entire way through life and resist Jesus at every opportunity because he is always trying to get into their lives. But thank God, no matter what we face, we do have God with us. And one of the incredible things about Jesus coming into this earth is he had a pretty good thing going for him. You understand that, right? He lived in heaven with God the Father, streets of gold, mansions, absolute perfection. You cannot even imagine how incredible heaven is. You have no idea. It would make your mind just... You have no idea how great heaven is. And Jesus voluntarily left all that behind and came down here to be one of us, to be a human being. And maybe you just let that fact fly right over your head. But I can't ignore that, that he left perfection and royalty and luxury and every incredible thing to come and live down here on this place and become one of us. Jesus was fully God but fully human being also, and he faced all of the same stuff that we face. Do you guys ever binge watch any shows? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know some of you do. Come on, you binge watch. And so, I don't know, we've been on this little kick lately. Katie and I have been watching the show Undercover Boss. You know, I, I went ahead and I got the CBS. All right, you've seen it. But but I'm, and one of the funniest things that, that I like about the show is 
you see some millionaire CEO that lives in a mansion and, and has a perfect life. And he, well, I, I want to see what it's like to be a normal person. I want to see what it's like to, to do what my worker. So you see them, you know, some millionaire that's probably never cleaned anything in their life. They're scrubbing toilets at a restaurant or flipping burgers. And they want to identify and see what it's like to basically be a normal person. And it's funny to watch because they're really bad at it usually. They don't know what they're doing. But I think about Jesus not just leaving some plush lifestyle. He left heaven and came down here and he didn't, he, he didn't flaunt it. He didn't, he didn't, you know, drive a Rolls Royce. He didn't, he just lived a very common average life like everybody else did. And so I'm telling you right now, don't think that, well, yeah, but he doesn't know what I'm going through. Jesus, can identify with your weaknesses, with your struggles, with your pains and the issues that you face. He can identify and he came down here and he did just that. And so what I want to talk about today is just three very basic areas that Jesus can identify with to your lifestyle. Now, there's many more. There's there's hundreds. There's thousands. We can sit here all day and think of how Jesus can identify with us. But I'm going to look at three things today that he identifies with you and that maybe, you know, you're like, I don't know. I, I just nobody knows what I'm going through. He does know what you're going through. And the good news is he overcame it. And if he overcame it, that means you can overcome it, too. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray and let's get into this. I'm excited. We're going to preach the word of God today. We're going to encourage you and pump you up. You're going to go dancing out of this place, man. You're going to be so lit up. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that came to be like one of us. He came down here and became a human being like us so he could save us, so he could rescue us, so he could identify with us. And, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we open our Bibles today, you'll speak to our hearts. You will show us what we need to see, Lord. You will change us so we can be more like you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. So the first thing I want to say is this. Number one, how can Jesus identify with us? Number one, he did not have a perfect family. Now, if your family's in here, don't say amen too loud. That could offend them. And I'm not trying to start family fights at Christmas. But seriously, Jesus did not have a perfect family. And a lot of people, they don't, they don't realize that. They, some people don't even realize that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Did you know he had brothers and sisters? So obviously he was the oldest, he was the firstborn, and you can figure that out on your own biologically and scientifically. He was the first, uh, he was the oldest child in the family, but there were other siblings, and he lived in what you would call a blended family, because his actual biological father is God Almighty in heaven, right? And the rest of his siblings, Joseph was their biological father, and they ha they all shared Mary as a mother. And so there was some issues and things that they dealt with. And in fact, if you read some of the scriptures, his brothers were mean to him. And because he's Jesus, he wasn't mean back. He was probably, you know, I, but can you imagine that? That they, they don't get it. They don't understand. They, they, they can't fully comprehend everything that's going on with their brother. And, and, and in fact, I'm going to show you something here. They didn't actually believe in him. They didn't, they didn't actually believe in who he was. And I want to show you something here this morning in John chapter seven. Can we flip there? John chapter seven. Amen. 
Now, you know, it seems like Christmas time, the holiday season, you know, we're all dealing with stuff. We're buying gifts. We're, you know, if you're like me, you're trying to light up your house as bright as you can from the outside. You want it to get there. And uh, and so there can be stress with that. There can be it can kind of be an easy time of year for families to maybe, uh, I don't know, have, have a little bit of uh a little bit of fighting, a little bit of arguing, and especially the state that the world's in now, there seems to be no shortage of things to argue about if you like to argue. Uh, shout out to those that like to argue. You know who you are. But I'm not, I, I don't like to argue. I don't like to debate. I don't like to go into that stuff. But at the same time, uh, it's not an easy thing. And so look at what happens here to Jesus. John chapter 7. Verses 2 through 5, it says, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. Now, the Jewish people, they have lots of celebrations and holidays and festivals to this very day. And this is one of them. And Jesus' brother said to him, hey, Jesus, leave here and go down to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. They are not saying this in a complimentary way. They're saying this in a sarcastic way. Oh, do you want to do some more of those miracles with the water into wine? That was pretty cool. Why don't you do that one again? And so they're sassing him. They're teasing him. And so they're like, hey, why don't you go down there to Judea? There's a festival going on. Where your followers, they could see all your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, Jesus. This is his own brother's. This is his own little brother. Now, I don't want to get picked on by my big brothers, but I definitely don't want to get picked on by my little brother. I've only got one little brother, and he is as annoying as they come. He could be watching right now, for all I know. But he's a Marine. He's stronger than me, but I don't care. Dude's annoying, and we love each other. We're best friends, but still. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want anybody sassing me. I don't, want any, I don't want my older brothers teasing me and harassing me. But Jesus' younger brothers, ooh, if you're so, if you really, come on. You can't become famous if you just sit around the house like this. Why don't you go down there to the big festival and do some miracles? You can get really famous down there. But look at verse 5. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. It's hard enough, you know, with, with everything going on and, 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 the, and the weight that he had on him. But even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, it, it had to hurt to, to some extent when the very people that should have your back, the very people that should be supporting you, the very people that you think you can count on, your own family, teases you. Talk smack to you, trash talk, you know, and uh, just sarcastic. And, 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 and it says they didn't even believe in him. Can you imagine growing up in this household? What would it have been like to grow up with Jesus as your big brother? That's going to be a strange dynamic. In fact, I've got a video here. I'm going to have Maylee roll. I've got a video to kind of maybe... I don't know, spur some thought within you and make you think about it just a little bit about what it could have been like to have Jesus as your big brother. The pressure that came with that. Go ahead. This is about James, his brother James. Go ahead, Maylee. Give me some volume on that. I was reading the Bible. Found out out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, how much pressure was that? Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? 
Did you know everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. It's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you just going to stand there with your sandals on? You're not going to... Can you make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not going to do anything? And you know James had problems just like any other kid had problems. He would try to follow his big brother around. So everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. So if Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time, James almost drowned. (laughs) Oh, you just got that joke just now, didn't you? (laughs) Jesus walked on water and James tried to exist. I'm sure James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And his parents, especially his, his mom, was trying to throw him a bone once in a while. They'd pray over their food. They're like, Lord, we just thank you for this food. In James' name. <laughs> James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And you know what they would say? He'd be like, well, what would Jesus do? You know? Then they gave him a bracelet. They gave him a bracelet. And um, then he started selling those bracelets. Made some money selling bracelets. What would be cool is a what would James do bracelet, right? Same initials, different meaning. Completely different meaning. You're driving down the street, you get cut off in traffic. You fuss him out, your pastor's going to be like, yo, you got a what would Jesus do bracelet on? Like, "Uh uh-uh, that's what would James do. driving an imaginary car for a long time, isn't he? Also found out when Jesus was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They lost Jesus. And you know the first thing they had to do was pray. I wonder what that prayer must have sounded like. Joseph probably did the prayer. He was like, oh, God. Dear God, um, oh, forgiving God. Um, you remember that Messiah you gave us? You got another one somewhere, man? We don't. That was the only we got us? Okay, we're going to find him. We're going to find him. Okay, so <laughs> that may have been a little bit obscure there, but you can imagine that Jesus really did have a family. He really did have brothers and sisters, and he really did have a mom and dad. He could really identify in ways with us that maybe you thought he couldn't identify with. I want you to flip over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Amen. 
And so I can I can say this much in all seriousness. I realize that globally it has been a difficult year for families. And I would say especially for families that don't have Jesus in the household. And I mean that you've got an awesome advantage to you if you have Jesus in your household. But I did read this that since March of this year in some areas domestic violence is up as much as 130% from the same time last year, 130%. And so families are struggling, but what I'm telling you is Jesus can identify with us. And so in Mark chapter 6, Jesus decided to go back to his hometown in Nazareth. Who knows where Jesus was actually born? Bethlehem, oh little town of Bethlehem. So he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and in Mark 6, we see the only place in the Gospels where Jesus' hands were tied from doing any miracles. Because we always think that, well, Jesus can just plow right through anything and and do whatever he wants to do. But according to what we see here and what we know of the rest of Scripture, that Jesus has got to have you believe in him before he's going to do miracles in your life. He's not going to just show up and force healing upon you if you're not believing for it. He's not going to just come in and force joy all over you if you're not trusting God for it. He does not force himself upon anybody. Everybody's got to play by the same rules. If Jesus is going to do miracles in your life, you've got to believe him for those miracles. And look at Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Then Jesus told them, because he went to his hometown and nobody believed in him there. He said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Think about that. He's like, everywhere I go, I'm honored. People believe in me. Everywhere I go, I'm honored. But a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and amongst his own family. What a harsh thing to say. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, the Greek, the literal Greek translation of that is he he healed a few people of minor ailments, maybe, you know, a little running nose or something. But everywhere else he went, he was raising the dead. He was he was, uh, you know, healing blind eyes, deaf ears, casting devils out of people, big time miracles. But in his own hometown, around his own family, around the own people that he grew up with, he couldn't do any of that stuff. Notice it doesn't say he wouldn't do. It literally says he could not do any miracles there, except a few minor little things. Verse 6 says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Wouldn't that be sad for Jesus to have to look at one of us and just be amazed? Like, wow. I've never seen anybody with such terrible unbelief as that person right there. I want to amaze Jesus, but I want to amaze Jesus with my faith, not amaze Jesus with my unbelief. And so I am telling you right now that Jesus did not come from just this perfect family where they all got along all the time and loved each other. And they definitely apparently didn't encourage him that much. Right. He can identify with what. We are going through, but I'm telling you right now, Jesus overcame it. Think about this. The book of James, towards the end of your Bible, who wrote that? Jesus' brother, James. The book of Jude, the second to last book in the Bible, who wrote that? Another one of Jesus' brothers. Towards the end of things, they came around and 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 and, and they believed 
in Jesus, and they became his disciples and followed him for the rest of the way. But Jesus can identify with what we go through because he had some family issues himself. Another area I want to talk about is this, is that number two, he had to face temptation and testing. For real, legit, Jesus had to face temptation and testing. And this may seem like a hard thing to believe, like, no, not Jesus. He couldn't have been tempted to do this to people. He couldn't have been tempted with this. And in fact, I'll show you scripture in a minute. But everything, every area you're tempted in, Jesus had to face the same temptation, but he overcame it. Every single time. And, you know, truth be told for me, I like to be transparent, right? I like to be just open and honest. Christmas time is a difficult time of year for me in the temptation department. And and I deal with, I struggle. You know, Pastor Dave struggles. Pastor Dave struggles. I'm allowed to, am I allowed to, you know, thank you. All right. So, but my wife, she makes these things at Christmas called Oreo truffles. They are real. They exist. She makes them. And ever since she started making these, probably when I was, you know, we got married at 19, very young. She started making these like a year or two later. And it has been a struggle for me when she makes these to not eat every single one that she makes. Now, you don't, don't judge me because I know some of you guys are in the same boat, right? And so I just remember one year, Christmas several years ago, she had made this entire batch for all my older brothers. And, you know, anybody in here have older brothers, younger brothers? I mean, sometimes, you know, you you got to get back to them while you can. So she had made some for the entire family. And I'm not proud of this, but I think it's time for confession that I snuck in there one night and I ate probably like three, four pounds of Oreo truffles. Now, I paid the price. I was judged for this. I paid the price uh, physically and when she found out. But what I'm trying to tell you is. Oh, amen. Amen. So, uh, but, but temptation is real for everybody. I was reading about this one guy that he was trying to, to lose some weight, trying to shed some pounds. And so, uh, he, he even took a different route to work every day so he could avoid driving past his favorite bakery. And then one day he's like, you know what? I'm strong enough now. I can handle going the normal way to work. So he drives past his favorite bakery, and right there in the window is all of the favorite things that he always liked, cakes and cookies and everything. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to see what God's will is in this situation. God, he prayed to God, Lord, if it's your will for me to stop in there today and you think I can handle it now, let there be an open parking spot right at the very front of the door, and, and I'll go in if it's your will. And so he comes into work that day with a great big coffee cake and a big smile on his face. And everybody says, what happened? Did you fall off the wagon? Are are you giving up? He's like, no, no, this is great. Here's what happened. I prayed to God that if he it was his will for me to get one of these coffee cakes, he would open up a front row parking spot. And sure enough, the eighth time around that parking lot, one opened up. So it was the will of God. Now, sometimes... We're like that, right? Like temptation presents itself and you're like, well, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but but Lord, if it's your will, then cause this to happen. And pretty much you can manipulate any set of circumstances that you want to manipulate to give in to the wrong thing. So Jesus, just put this on the screen for me. Hebrews 4.15, write this down. Hebrews 4.15 
It's talking about Jesus, our high priest. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same castings we do, yet he did not sin. The King James Version says that he was tempted in all points as we are. Tempted, tested in every way that we are, yet without sin. And so I'm like, Okay, if he was fully human down here as one of us, how did he possibly overcome it? And the scripture lays out a perfect story for us that shows us exactly how Jesus overcame temptation. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Who's having a good time today? I am glad that I came. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, Matthew chapter 4. And here's the story of the, it's called the temptation of Jesus. This happened right after he was baptized. John the Baptist, his cousin, baptizes him in the Jordan River there. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove. And the booming voice of God the Father, the audible voice, everybody hears it, comes out of heaven and says, this is my Dearly loved son, in whom I am well pleased. And it's a powerful moment of history. And Jesus goes from his baptism and takes some time out in the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. The man went. 40 days and 40 nights without eating a single crumb of food. And I'm telling you right now that if you, I mean, some people, they, they, to go 40 days, I struggle sometimes 40 minutes, man. I'm like, when's snack time? I'm like a kid. Bring in some fruit snacks or something. And so 40 days, and at that moment, your mind could be playing all sorts of tricks on you. You could be in a compromised position and it's at this moment that satan comes in he's like okay he's at a weak point now's my chance to do something to jesus and so verse three during that time the devil came and said to him if you are the son of god tell these stones to become loaves of bread now what's wrong with that picture jesus deserved some bread jesus could have turned the stones into bread. First of all, the very first thing wrong with that is the previous story we just read, the voice of God comes out of heaven and says, this is my son. And I'm proud of him. I love him. The very next thing the devil comes up and says, if you really are the son of God, Anytime that God speaks a word into your life, Satan's going to come and try to bring doubt into your life. You need to know that right now. Well, wait a minute. I thought God said, if God said that, then why is this going on? And, and I don't get it. And then you start doubting God and you give up on God. Maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe I was totally wrong. No chances are you were totally right. And Satan is coming in to tempt you to turn your back on the very word of God spoken to you. And so God in front of everybody says, this is my son. Satan shows up and says, if you really are the son of God, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Now, the second thing that's wrong with this is no matter what 
you are not going to obey and take advice from Satan. I'd rather starve than do what the devil told me to do. And I'm not going to starve. Praise God for that. Clearly, I am not going to starve. But at the same time, he what if Jesus had said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do that. What if Jesus had obeyed the word of Satan? What a bad position to be in. And so look at this. But Jesus told him, verse 4, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Keep your bread. I'll take the word of God. That's what I need. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are really the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Well, listen, Satan was quoting scripture to Jesus right there. The devil knows the Bible better than some Christians do. Please. Thank you. So I'm just saying that he, he knows some scripture. He can quote some scripture to you right there. But. Jesus, he was tempting him to just jump off of the temple in a moment of weakness. And and look at this. Jesus responded, verse 7, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. The next, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and they took care of Jesus. But look at this. Three examples, three times, time and time and time again, Satan came to Jesus in a vulnerable moment, in a compromised position, and tried to get him to do something to obey him. And every single time, three times in a row, Jesus fought the words of the devil with the word of God. No, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan comes back again. No, it is written. It is written, thou shalt not test and tempt the Lord your God. And then the third time, no, get out of here. It is written that you will serve the Lord your God and him only. Jesus fought the devil. Jesus fought temptation with the word of God. You, how are you going to overcome temptation and testing and trial? You have to speak the word of God just like Jesus did. I'm learning everything I can off of Jesus because he did every single thing right. And I want to learn off of people like that. They're doing a better job than I am. And so Jesus, every single time temptation came, he spoke the word of God. And I'm telling you right now, you can believe me or you cannot believe me, but it is very important that you literally learn to speak the word of God out of your mouth. You don't want to fight the devil in the thinking realm, in the mental realm, and, you know, well, I'll, I'll beat him up here. I'll just try to think good thoughts. And when he comes, you, you, you don't answer the devil with thoughts. You do what Jesus did. You speak the word of God out of your mouth. 
you've got to learn to believe in the heart and stay with the mouth. That's how you became saved, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. You believe in the heart and say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then you're saved. Well, you're going to fight some battles that way, too, in this life that you've got to speak the word of God out of your mouth. That is how you overcome temptation and testing from the devil. Can somebody say amen? And so the third thing I want to say is this about, well, how can Jesus identify with and And this may seem bizarre, but I, I mean, I had to, I had, this is what God spoke to me. He had to face loneliness. Jesus had to face loneliness. Now, this is about the strangest topic for me to even try to tackle because as I sat down last night and just tried, uh, you know, I, I had a whole sermon written. God seems to do this to me every week now. I, got, I write a sermon earlier in the week, and then like on Saturday, he's like, <laughs> just kidding, you got to do something else. And so I'm sitting down typing, and, 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 and God's talking to me about people dealing with loneliness. And as I had this, I had a four-year-old doing a puppet show with a box that he had just cut out. I had one kid trying to get me to watch him play his Xbox game, talking in my ear, Dad, look at this. I had another kid trying to give me a makeover, and I had another kid uh, giving me facts about Home Alone. Did you know that in this scene, they didn't really hit him over the head with the iron? What they did was they painted and And I'm like, God, I am so not a lonely man. I am very... <laughs> Sometimes that sounds kind of nice, to be honest. No, I'm, no, I'm kidding. But... but but I, I, I'm thinking about this because in a minute I'll show you something. But I have found out, not personal experience, but people can be very lonely even when they're surrounded by other people. There's more people on planet Earth right now than there's ever been before. We give people more access into our lives than we ever have before. You show them your food. We don't want to see it, but you show it to us anyway. You show us pictures of yourself that we probably don't want to see either. You show nonstop every day. Just woke up, blah, blah, blah. Giving us the play by play of your life nonstop. People have, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I found, I, I looked this up and, 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 and as of 2019, nearly eight out of 10, 79% of Generation Z people, that's people, uh, born, uh, year 2000 up until anyway anyway people that are 20 years old are, are a little bit younger okay and so up to 79 percent of them identify as being at a depression level of loneliness i'm like how how and then the millennial generation my proud generation that i love so much that i'm in 71 uh, percent identify themselves as facing chronic in fact the the lonely situation as of last year, 2019, the Cigna Health Group declared a national pandemic of loneliness. And I'm like, what? And that was last year before people were locked in their houses for eight months. I'm like, my God, what are these same people feeling right now? That was when they were allowed to go be around others. And now these same people, and, and, I'm, and, and, and you see, the suicide rates are just astronomical right now it's awful people need to not feel lonely it's 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 and even in a normal year at christmas time the suicide rate goes up because people see all these you know happiness and and they've got this picture of what it should be like you see a hallmark movie and you know you can predict the end from the beginning amen and so you 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 see all this and for some people that doesn't 
make feelings of bliss like it does for some of us. I see that stuff and I'm like, I nearly, I mean, I get so happy off of that stuff that it's, it's nearly a high, okay? I love stuff like that because I love Christmas so much. But for some people, this is not the most wonderful time of the year. And, 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 and so Jesus had to face loneliness. And I want you to look at Matthew 27, Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27. Because when Jesus died on the cross, there was obviously physical pain, right? I mean, you've seen the movies, maybe, and, and you know what's, what's the, the physical pain. There was all sorts of terrible things he experienced on that cross. But the very worst thing that Jesus experienced on the cross was for the very first time in his life, he would be separated from God the Father. He would not have his dad right there with him. His entire life, his entire existence, Jesus had always been right there and had God the Father on his side. But for a brief three-day moment in history, the Father turned his face away. And Jesus was on his own. He experienced separation. Matthew 27, verse 45 At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. This is Jesus on the cross. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And here's Jesus on the cross. And at every point, I mean, ever, you you know, man, if you've got a good dad, they're always there. You get yourself in a pickle, you know, dad, dad will come get me out of this, but And this time, no, this time it wasn't going to happen because Jesus had to die. In fact, people, you know, the the, the disciples, they're like, we're not going to let it happen. He told the disciples, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified and then come back. And Peter's like, no, you're not. I'll I'll never let you die. we, We will protect you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He called one of his best friends Satan because anything that tries to stop you, even well-meaning people, even friends and family, if they're trying to stop you from doing the will of God, they're wrong. And so Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not going to stop me. I have to die. The whole reason I even came down here and lived in this place is so I could have a body to die in someday. And so here's Jesus. And at that moment on the cross, He's in the worst pain any human being has ever felt. People are laughing. They're mocking. They're spitting. They're cussing. They're, they're jeering. They're, they're trash talking. They're, and, and, and here he is hanging half naked on the cross. His own mom is sitting there sobbing, watching her son die the worst, most embarrassing death anybody could die. This was what bad people did. Good people didn't die on the cross. Murderers and rapists and the worst people in the world died on the cross. But here's the best person in history dying on a cross. His mom and his brothers and sisters sobbing as they watch this. And he cries out, God, Dad, why'd you forsake me right now? He was getting ready to experience the most type of lonely that there is. Separation from God the Father. And there's people in this world right now that are separated from God, not by his choice, but by their choice. And Ephesians 4 says that during this time, Jesus finally dies on that cross. Thank God he did. 
His spirit descends down into hell. And for three days, he wars with the devil. And we know his body's in that tomb. Three days later on Sunday morning, the tomb shakes and angels come and earthquake comes. And Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. The single greatest day in history for every born again child of God was right there. But Jesus didn't come back empty handed. He says, I brought with me the keys to death, hell and the grave. Nobody, nobody has to fear death anymore if they will just come join up with me. If they'll receive me, death doesn't have to scare you anymore. I don't have to be afraid. I have zero fear of going to hell. Because Jesus conquered. I'm not even afraid of dying. Some people think I'm joking. I'm not afraid of that. You can't threaten me with heaven. You kidding me? Tell me that I'm going up there to be with Jesus for the next billion years. That doesn't sound like too bad of a threat to me. I'm excited about that. But listen, Jesus, he experienced this separation, this loneliness. So we would not have to. The only way that. You are without anybody, and I'm not making fun of anybody's situation. I'm, I'm sensitive, but listen, even if you don't have any, even if you don't have a single person in this world, you, I promise you, you've got Jesus right there. I want you to look, because Jesus died, he resurrects. Let me show you one of the very last things he said on this earth. Flip over to 28, chapter 28, Matthew 28, verse 20. Literally one of the very last things he said before he went up to heaven. Matthew 28, and verse 20. I love this. Matthew 28, verse 20. I'm going to read it in the, in the King James. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And look at this, the very last line. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He just experienced three of the worst days anybody could ever imagine. And he comes back and says, I, that is it. I don't want anybody to ever be alone again. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said that to us. And so the only way that we can be without God right now is if we are choosing to be without God. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, he said, hey, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you'll just open up the door of your heart to me, I'll come in and I'll be with you forever. And so if we are lonely, if we are without God, if we are separated from God, it is not by his choice. It is a full out choice on our end. And the very worst thing you could do is be at this beautiful time of year when people are have hope and 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 god's moving and doing wonderful miraculous things if you could be at this point in time and not have god with you that is a sad state to be in and that can all change today because everybody who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved all you gotta do is make that call amen can I ask us to stand up together today? Who, who's received the word of God today? Did you receive that today? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.